you say, how many more times are we going to be in Daniel 1? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you may be ready to move on. I get it. We've looked at it a few times already. Um, but tonight, I'm just so many things come to my mind when I'm reading through this text. And, um, and this is from a message I actually heard years ago somebody preach. And the thought has always stood, stuck with me. And uh, I want to try to convey it, you know, uh, based on some, some way on how I remember it. Um, and uh, we'll see after this, depending on the look on your face, we may move, may move on after this tonight. And uh, yet I think this is a valid truth that will be a help to us. Daniel chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole text. You know a, a, a lot of what's happened and we'll go back through. But let's begin reading verse 17. It says, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. We'll stop our reading right there. Tonight I just want to look at this. It's a simple thought. This evening, but standing before kings, standing before kings. And sometimes I think in our lives, we, we sell God short with what he wants to do with us. Amen. And we settle for something far below what God has in store for us in that God was raising these four young men to stand before a king. But if they, wouldn't, if they weren't careful, they would have simply sat before meat. And sometimes I think we lose out on what God wants to do because we see what's in front of us in the moment and we miss something much bigger. So I want to pray and ask God to help us tonight to get this simple truth. Lord, we need you. I pray that you'd help us tonight to be open to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just a few thoughts before we get into the preaching tonight. Just a, a few kind of setting the table thoughts here. Um, one thing that stands out to me that, that I, I want to be balanced in is the, is the fact that the study of the book of Daniel uh, is not the study of a perfect man. Uh, and sometimes, you know, there are plenty of people in the Bible that did most everything right. Um, there are few people in the Bible that there's mentioning nothing, there's mentioned nothing negative about at all. And Daniel would be one of those. But lest we think that Daniel was perfect, he most certainly was not. Uh, Daniel was a sinner like you and I. But the thing that we can learn from the book of Daniel and Daniel's life is this though. Is he made the best of the life that he was given. And so, you know, he did more with less than probably anybody else in scripture. You think about, well, you know, well, what about Joseph? Well, Joseph was Jacob's son. Joseph had things handed to him. Now, we know they were all taken away. Um, but Daniel literally was kidnapped and taken away from his parents and raised in a different culture, in a different language, and had no accountability. And really, if he had chosen to, could have just blended in 
and never been mentioned again in history. He did more with less than anybody else, I believe, in Scripture. Um, and let's be honest, though. Um, you know, we need to understand that the, the insight or the connection that we make with Daniel is not how to be perfect. No, the connection that you and I can make is how do I do the most with the life I've been given? How do I take what God has given me and do the very best I can? Because sometimes in scripture we, we might assume that the lesson here is on how to be perfect. No, the lesson is not on perfection. The lesson is on stewardship. Amen. It's about how to do the very best that we can with what we've been given even if it's not much. And, and we've all, let's be honest, we've all been given more than Daniel had. So how well have you done with what you have? How well have you done with what you have? And you say, well, you know, some young people in here might say, well, I'm not Daniel. You know, I don't have a, yeah, but you have your parents. He didn't. You're being raised in a culture where you understand the language. I know sometimes you might think your parents are speaking a different language, but they're not. Uh, you're being raised in church. Daniel didn't have that. You have a Bible in your hands. Hopefully, by the way, young people always bring a Bible to church. I'm not sure why you wouldn't. But you have a Bible in your hands. Daniel didn't have that. You have much more at your disposal than Daniel ever had. You have more at your disposal than Daniel probably would lay awake at night and dream about having all the resources that you have at your disposal. So, so we all must be careful not to think, well, we're not Daniel, but we have a lot more resources than Daniel had. And, and I imagine maybe then I think about his life and I think about my life. And honestly, when I think about his life, I feel bad about my life. I feel like I've not done nearly what I'm supposed to do with my life. And if I can be honest, I, have, I imagined at this point in my life I would have done more. And I just turned 46 years old uh, last month. And, and I, I say this, I'm very content with where I'm at. I'm content with, with pastoring Eastside Baptist Church. I, I, can't, I don't see past that. That's not what I'm saying tonight. I hope you understand um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on a personal level, there are still plenty of things that I'm not content with myself about. There are still plenty of areas that I thought I would have done better at at this point in my life. I, I thought that I would be a more effective husband at this point in my life. My wife says, amen. I'm just, you know, projecting. You know, I, I thought I would, I mean, there are plenty of times where I, I thought at this point in my life I would have had the answers as a dad. And there are times I don't. And there are times in my walk with God that I thought I would be further along. That I would be more spiritual. That I would be more disciplined. I figured by this time in my life that I would manage my time better. That I would handle the stresses of life better. There are things in my life that I look at and I say I can't believe this is all I've done. I can't believe this is as far as I've gotten and, and I, if we're honest, I think most of us would say, uh, yes, there are areas in my life like that. And if you would say that, would you just say amen so I don't feel like the only loser in here tonight? Okay, Whew, thank you. You know, we've given, been given plenty to work with, but most of us haven't fully developed everything we've been given. And we can either assume that the Lord has failed, or we can assume that we have failed. 
And I think we all know the answer to that question. It's not failure on God's part. And I believe we often miss something important that Daniel was able to capture. That he allowed God's perspective on his life to determine how he lived his life. In other words, he didn't settle for what was right in front of him. He didn't settle for something less. No, he looked at God's vision, God's perspective, God's plan for his life. And he allowed that to set the course of his life. And it starts this whole thing, and I don't, I'm not going to review everything, but there are parts of this I haven't spent lots of time on, so I'll go back and look. There's a three-year plan it mentioned here in verse 4. Look what it says. Children, so they go, they take these children from Israel, they bring them, their children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace... And whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So the king has a plan. He sends his soldiers to Judah. And, and he brings back these children of Israel. And, and he, was trying, he says, pick out the ones that are the cream of the, the crop. Pick out the ones that are the most intelligent. Pick out the ones that are the most gifted. The ones who come from the prince's families. Print out, uh, pick out the ones that are wisest. The ones that are the best students. The ones that have, in today's vernacular... ...that have the highest ceilings, the cream of the crop. Pick those out, bring them back, we're going to reprogram them. Look at verse 5, he says, "...and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat... ...and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years... ...that at the end thereof they might stand before the king." So his plan was to take the cream of the crop out of Israel... ...bring them to Babylon... Reprogram them for three years, and at the end of three years, have those young people stand before him and see how their reprogramming project has, has gone. And part of the reprogramming, part of the plan was to change their diet. And this is where we know the story, we've talked about it many times already. But Daniel and his friends, they come up with an alternate plan to the king's meat and the king's wine. The king's meat and the king's wine would have likely not been up to Jewish or Mosaic laws standards. It would have been kosher, if you want to say it that way. It likely would have been prepared in an unclean way. It may have been forbidden animals that they weren't allowed to eat. Um, it probably was meat that had been offered to idols. It was probably wine that had been dedicated as a sacrifice to false gods. And Daniel and his friends said, we can't do that. So they come up with an alternate plan. And his original plan, when he goes to the Prince of Eunuchs, he says, now listen, I know you've got a three-year plan. And your three-year plan is for us to eat the king's meat and the king's wine but that's not going to work for us because we, we still follow the Lord. And so I want to submit to you a different plan. And the plan is this, that you allow us to eat pulse and drink water. And pulse would simply be vegetables or anything grown from the ground, grains, something like that. It would basically be a vegetarian diet. And he says, allow us to do this. Now we know that the prince of the eunuchs, according to the text, had reservations about this because he said, well, if I do that, my head is at risk. I could lose my head if I allow you to do that. Because in his mind, he's thinking, if all they eat is vegetables and all they drink is water for three years, at the end of three years, they're not going to look healthy. So Daniel, in the way that I interpret this, the way I think it happens, is Daniel then comes up with a different plan. 
And this time, not going around authority, he goes to the person directly over him, Melzar, who's the warden over these young people. And he says, okay, it's not a three-year plan this time. I'm asking for ten days only. Give us just ten days and give us ten days to eat poles and drink water while everybody else is eating meat and drinking wine. Now, I know that ten days could make a difference, but really, if you think about what Daniel is asking, he's not asking for something that would just naturally happen easily. Because if you eat enough poles and drink enough water in ten days, I I think probably you're not going to see a huge difference between those drinking uh, wine and eating meat. Like you might see some, but 10 days, you know what, what Daniel's doing? He's letting God take his, uh, his uh, compromise or his plan and work a miracle through it. I mean, because if it was only 10 days, that's not going to make much of a difference unless God intervenes. And so Daniel is putting God to the test. He's putting God's word to the test. He says, okay, let us do 10 days instead. And and so this then, after 10 days, then we know the story. They go and they stand before the warden. And the warden says, you do look healthier. You do look fairer and fatter in flesh. You do look better than those that have been drinking wine and eating meat. So you know what? For you four, I'm going to let you eat, continue to eat. Pulse and water. And so this, it was this set of circumstances then that, that set in motion a three-year process. You understand that? This is a three-year plan. Say vegetables and water for three years. Some of you thought, well, 10 days, that's not a big deal. No, this was a three-year plan. And think about what that happens, then what happens each day. Daniel then, I don't know if you've ever been on a diet when I try to go on a diet, it doesn't, I have momentum the first meal and after that it's all downhill. It's no fun. And, and if you imagine this, Daniel would have had to look at these circumstances through one of these three perspectives. This is what I think is going through his mind. It's either this, he could have been thinking as he's sitting at the table and he's eating pulse and drinking water and he looks across the table at one of the other guys who's eating steak and drinking wine and he's thinking, oh, what, what could have been? He's, he's thinking, what, what could have been? What, what I could have been eating? What I could have been sitting at meat? Or he could have, be, could have been thinking, um, looking at his own plate and thinking, I'm stuck with pulse. Or he could have been thinking, one day I'm going to stand before a king. So understand, there are things that could go through his mind. And every day, he's going back to the table. And he's either looking at somebody else's plate and thinking, I could be eating steak right now. Or he's looking at his plate and saying, and now I have his poles. Or he's looking up and saying, but one day I'm going to stand before a king. See, I believe that Daniel had to make a daily choice to keep the right perspective. See, this this goes down exactly like we think it will, exactly like the king says. Look down at verse 18. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said, at the end of the days, what is that? Well, that's a three-year process. That The king had said that he, he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. It happens just like the king says. This plan was set in motion three years before. So understand, Daniel and his friends, they knew this was coming. They're not caught by surprise. 
They made the decision to purpose for God for three years before this, knowing that this day was coming. And I want to get more specific then about this. I heard somebody use this illustration one time. They made this decision 3,285 times, knowing this day was coming. See, how do you come up with that? Well, I'm assuming three meals a day. I don't know exactly how it would have worked in that culture. Three meals a day, every day for three years. 365 times three. Yeah, you're talking 365 times three times three. 3,285 meals. Daniel had to sit down and look at his plate, the poles, look across the table at meat and say, but no, I'm going to stand before a king. And the next time he had to sit down and look at his plate again and look across at the meat. And he says, he could have thought, I'm, I could be sitting at meat. Instead, I'm sitting at poles. And, and yet it seems that every day Daniel made the decision, but one day I'm going to stand before a king. I'm going to stand before a king. Three times a day for three years, Daniel had to decide whose perspective he was going to live his life by. Is he going to focus on what he could have been doing and looking at meat? Or is he going to be focusing on the things he probably is getting tired of, the poles? Or is he going to focus on what the Lord might prepare him for, which is standing before kings? Look at verse 19. It says, and the king communed with them. He brings him in. He communes with them. He has a real conversation. And among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Therefore stood they before the king. These four men come and they spend time with the king. And they're found to be the best of the best. They stood, they literally had a conversation. This is how we know it's three years later. Because they're conversing with Nebuchadnezzar. In, in Nebuchadnezzar's language. He, they've had a chance to grow. They've had a chance to be educated. And as he's talking to them, he's thinking... There's something different about these four guys. I mean, he interviewed all of them, and these four were different. And listen, I believe it goes back to uh, the decision between two plans. Daniel and his friends could either follow the king's plan, or they could follow the king of kings' plan. And they chose to follow the king of kings' plan, and by the time it all played out, God miraculously turned the, the provisions that they had into something better than what everybody else had. And, and so what others would have seen, wouldn't you and I say, if you're looking to be healthier and you're looking to be uh, fairer and fatter in flesh, that's what the text says, then, then you're not going to get there eating vegetables like that. See, it was a disadvantage. Most people would look at that and say that's a major disadvantage, but the Lord turned it into an actual advantage. There's no reason this diet should have had this effect on them. But listen, when we are dependent on God and we follow his plan, it gives him room to turn our disadvantages into miracles. Amen. It allowed God to look at them and say, you're going to be that dependent on me. You're going to put me to the test to that degree. Then I am going to turn what others will look at and say, there's no way that should work. I'm going to do a miracle with that. Kind of reminds me of a little boy who had five loaves and two fishes. And if he had kept that for himself, then there was no way that he could have been involved in the miracle. But because he was dependent on the Lord and he said, I'll follow your plan, God multiplied it. He turned what most people would have looked at and said, that's not good enough. And he made a miracle out of it. 
And I just wonder how many of us in our lives, if we would simply be willing to say, I will be dependent on God in this area of my life. I will follow God's plan in this area of my life. I'll stop being dependent on myself and I'll just let him take the reins. I just wonder how much we're missing out on because we think this is better off in our hands. He wants to take the things that you're afraid to give up and he wants to turn them into your advantage. Daniel, turn, Daniel turns a three-year three experiment into a 70-year impact in Babylon. I mean, this three-year project or process, he had no idea it would turn into Daniel having influence for 70 years in a foreign country, but that's what God did because Daniel decided, I'm, gonna, I'm going to live my life with the idea that someday I'll stand before kings and I'll, I'll, I'll refuse to sit at meat. I'll follow God's plan and just see what he can do. And that three years turned into lots, it turned into decades of influence. Right. We, we've got to all decide whether or not we'll, we're going to be content to sit at meat or stand before kings. Sitting at meat is the easiest course. I mean, sitting at meat, that's what everybody else is doing. Sitting at meat is, is, it means that you just go along with what's in front of you. Sitting at meat means that you live for today. It means that you walk the path of least resistance. Sitting at meat means that you do what feels good in the moment. That you say, yes, this is what I want. It's right here. I'm going to enjoy it. Sitting at meat means that you don't consider what's beyond this decision. You don't consider what's beyond today. It means you give in to temptation without thinking about consequences. Sitting at meat is a very short-sighted way to live. Yet I believe that many of God's people, at times all of us, we just sit at meat. Whatever's, what, whatever's in front of us, whatever gets thrown on my plate, you know, that's the easiest course. It's the easiest path. I'm just going to follow that. But standing before kings is the hard path. Because it means that you live for a bigger moment that God is planning for you down the road. See, standing before kings means you have to look past the, the stake and focus on something bigger. It means that, your view, that you view your talents and your gifts and your abilities not just as ways to earn you a good living, but as ways to serve, serve God with. It means that, that you live beyond riches and you consider how God might allow you to use your resources to be a blessing and reach souls like we've just come through. I mean, the missions commitment, it's a great example of how many times you're going to have to eat pulse if you want to stand before kings. That every week you set aside something that you probably would rather have or, or, or set aside going out to eat that one time or, or maybe it's a real big sacrifice and you say no to Dr. Pepper on a weekly basis now. Uh, that was a joke, but you know, some of you are like, well, well, that is a real sacrifice. No, that's what I'm talking about. The missions commitment is a perfect example of this because it takes people like you and like myself every week saying, I will eat pulse because there's a bigger plan out there. I will eat pulse because God wants to do something more with my money than me just putting into my savings account. God can take it. He can turn this into souls. Young people, listen, it means that you stop living to be accepted by your peers and to be popular. And you decide that you'll let your light shine and you're going to live righteously. And maybe God could use your life to inspire your generation to do something more than, than just being accepted and just being part of the status quo in the youth group.
Uh, it, this means for parents, it means that you're less interested in your child's worldly success than you are in their kingdom impact. That it's not just about raising a child to make money and take care of me when I get old. No, it's raising a child and saying, God, this is yours. You gave this child to me. I give this child back to you. And if you want to use this child overseas or you want to use them in some way that I may not even be comfortable with, if that's what you want to do, I say yes to it all. And I'm willing to live with poles if it means that you'll do something greater in their life. And before you say, no, this is way too hard. I can't do this. I want you to consider what the Lord did because of their decision. They were found 10 times better. And that's a figure of speech. It simply means they were found superior than the rest. Does it mean that veggies make you smarter? Well, that's what my mom used to say, but I, I mean, well, not necessarily. No, this has less to do with the diet and more to do with God's blessing for young men for their level of commitment. Yeah. But imagine, I mean, if this is true, Imagine being 10 times better. Imagine being 10 times better at your job. Now, I'm not going to put a number to it and say, well, God is going to multiply by exactly 10. No, I'm just saying, if, if God can take the commitment level of four young people and make them this much better than everybody else, can you imagine what God might do with you in your job if you put him first in every way in your life? What God might, he, I really believe this is a principle we can bank on. That if we put God first, he blesses us not just with spiritual success, but he blesses us with success in our workplace. I used to tell this to our young people in Stillwater. You say, I'm struggling with getting good grades. What I would say is don't not, I wouldn't, I don't say don't study. I'm not saying that. But what I would say is, okay, here's a challenge for the next two months Get up and read your Bible and pray every day. Have a plan. Don't miss a day. And in two months, if your grades aren't better, I'll give you $50. Amen. Never once had a young person come back and say, well, grades are worse. I prove you wrong. No. Well, you know what God would do when they put God first? He would make them ten times better in other areas. He would bless them in other ways. You know, you want to be a better parent? Put God first in every way. Make sure you're living for him first. And watch how he allows you to have wisdom and insight into raising your children. And you start to make some headway. I'm not saying it's a, it's a fix-all. But I am saying if this is a principle in scripture. Which, by the way, it's in the New Testament too. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. That's not just talking about spiritual things. That text is talking about the daily uh, requirements for living. Amen. I mean, finances and resources and, and, and clothing and those kinds of things. I'm just saying this is a principle found all throughout Scripture. And if God could do it with Daniel and these four, these four young men, Daniel and his three friends, there's no reason he can't help you with your finances. You just say, I'm going to put him first and watch what he does. There's no reason that he can't help you be a better witness. You say, I just don't have boldness. I'm just so shy. I don't know what to say. But I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put him to the test in this principle. And watch how he starts to let you have impact in people's lives. Yeah. Listen, if you are struggling to do something better, put this to the test. Put God first. Make a stand before kings kind of decision and see whether or not God takes you 
in some areas that he allows you to take some steps in improvement. Here's what it comes down to. When we allow God's vision for our lives to impact how we live, he allows us to do more than we ever could have following our plans. When we allow God's vision for our lives to impact how we live, he allows us to do more than we ever could following our plans. Just like they knew this day standing before the king was coming, there are some days coming for us. I mean, I think about the things there. Someday, everybody in this room probably is going to face a test that's bigger than you can handle. You're going to be tested. You're going to have a hardship. And it'll be bigger than you can handle. And listen, if you've lived your life sitting at meat, you won't be ready for the moment. But if you have lived your life to stand before the king, to live for the Lord, to live for that moment, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I am saying that God will bless you with his provision and his help in ways you didn't think he could. You're going to find yourself in a situation that you're in over your head at work. And you say, well, I don't really see the connection between walking with God and putting God first and then, you know, having this situation come up at work. Well, tell me, was, was this situation that Daniel was in with the king, was it a spiritual situation or was it really more of a physical situation? It was a physical situation. The king was looking to see um, how smart they were, how well-versed they were in the Babylonian culture, uh, how good they were at communication. Daniel had gifts now in visions and dreams. Listen, God blessed them in other ways because they put God first in their lives. And if you're not already, listen, I know we have some single folks in here, and one day you're going to get married. You know what you need to do? You need to stop saying, well, I'm never going to get married, so I'm just going to sit at meat and just waste my time. No, if you'll ap- operate as if you're going to stand before the king someday, you'll be ready when that right person comes along. Amen. If you don't have children yet, God may bless you with children. Start living as if you're standing before the king today, and then when the child comes, you're ready. Well, nobody's really ready, but you'll be more ready. You know, someday you're going to be tempted to sin in a significant way. And that temptation is going to be very strong, and you're going to think, I could get away with this right now. And if what you've done to that point in your life is sit before meat, then you won't be ready to say no to the temptation. And you may suffer some really great losses because you didn't say, no, I'm going to stand before kings and that's what I'm going to live for. Someday the Lord's going to return and you'll stand before the king of kings. And if you spend your whole life sitting at meat, you won't be ready for that moment. And you're going to stand there with all kinds of regret. Listen, whether or not you want to, if you want to succeed in your stand before the king moment, you're going to have to make many decisions to be okay with pulse. Because standing before kings successfully takes polls to accomplish. In other words, it takes the less desirable path. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. Listen, you don't get to walk with God. That's standing before the king. But you don't get to walk with God unless you're willing to give some things up like sleep. You're going to have to do some other things, some things that other people might consider strange. I mean, the people in your circle, they may say, you're going to go... I mean, you were at church Saturday to, to tell people about Jesus? That's weird. But now you're going back on Sunday, and most of your weekend now is about church. And a lot of people in this room would say, well, yeah, that's what we do on weekends. But I'm telling you, for those that haven't made that commitment level yet, 
Right now it's hard and you're going to have to decide, am I going to sit at meat because that's the easiest path or am I willing to accept the pulse because the pulse is going to prepare me to stand before the king. Pulse may be sleeping less to pray more. Pulse may be separating from some friends that don't help you spiritually. Pulse may be choosing not to go with everyone else uh, down to the places they go and a Christian shouldn't go. Pulse may be deciding a certain person isn't the right person to date based on where you want to be someday. Pulse may, may be uh, may, may mean not cutting corners at work that everybody else cuts and says is no big deal because someday you want something bigger than to be known like everybody else is the corner cutter. Uh, Pulse may be that you not you don't have certain you maybe you have a certain standard in your life and you're trying to live this way and you and your family and and you have a certain standard and others maybe even look at you funny about but that's pulse and you feel like this is what God wants me to do because I believe He's got bigger plans for me. Pulse may be furthering your education so you can excel in some way and 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 increase your influence. I don't know what pulse looks like in your life. But pulse could be just about anything that's not the easy path. And here's what it all comes down to. Are you willing to spend every day thinking, someday I stand before the king? And the fact that I stand before the king someday means I'm willing to accept the pulse and say no to the meat. We just have to decide if... So understand, if you say yes to the pulse then it gives you an opportunity to stand before the king. But if you say yes to the meat, it puts you in a position just to be status quo, like everybody else. Which one do you want to do? Would you rather stand before a king, or would you rather be status quo? That's the choice that we're all making. And it comes down to whether or not I'm willing to choose meat, a pulse, or meat. The meat leads to status quo. The pulse leads to standing before kings. There's a really good principle here, and I'll close with this. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. That's what you're choosing between. See, we each live every day choosing between these two pains. Okay, I should never say closing because then everyone just starts closing. But don't, don't wrap up just yet, okay? If we choose to sit at meat, we bypass the pain of the moment. I mean, isn't that true? Like what, the easiest path, you don't have to deal with pain. I mean, if you sit at meat, the pain is, uh, there's no pain. You can just do what comes easy. You do what comes natural. You do what's the easiest thing. If you choose to stick with poles, we accept the present pain. But understand, if you choose the meat, you avoid the pain in the moment, but you ensure the pain of regret in the end. But if you accept the pain of pulse in the moment, and listen, some of us, when it comes to vegetables, it's painful. But if I'm willing to accept the pain of the pulse in the moment, then I don't have the pain of regret when I stand before the king. That's what we're choosing between. And it just comes down to if we're willing to choose the pain of the moment for the reward at the end, where we want to bypass the pain of the moment, but we have pain of regret in the end. 
Everyone has pain. You simply choose when the pain comes. So whose perspective are you living for? Some of you are you're so focused on what you could be enjoying. And this is what you're having to do. And you're just, oh, you're, you just say, I'm just ready to ditch God's plan and go back to the meat because it's easier. I'm just telling you this. Number one, it never tastes as good as it looks. Two, it may taste good today, but you'll regret it in the end. Status quo isn't as rewarding as standing before kings. Some, some of you are discontent with the pulse. I think about how I was as a teenager, and my heart goes out to these sometimes. You know, you're, you're eating it, and the pulse is that, you're, man, you're having to do things differently than your friends. And this goes for everybody. If you want to be committed to the Lord, in spite of what the culture, church culture, modern church culture says, there should be something different about your life. And when you eat pulse, I'm telling you, young people, it's not easy to eat the pulse. It doesn't always taste good, especially when you look at the culture, what everybody else is doing, and they're having a great old time, and you're just eating pulse. And you're eating the pulse, but you have a bad attitude about it. Well, I'm telling you, uh, God won't bless if we, yeah, we're just eating the pulse, but we have a bad spirit about it. No, actually, if you would remember that the pain of the discipline of the moment is leading to something greater, that'll actually help you to have a good attitude no matter how hard it is. Because you know in the end it's better for you. We've got some in here and, man, you are, you're doing the best you can. You're, you're focused on what's at stake. You know what's coming and you want to stand before kings. And I just want to say to you, it's hard today, but it's worth it in the end. Don't give up. Before the process plays out. Can you imagine if Daniel had gotten to two years, 364 days at lunchtime? And he said, you know what? This is, I am so tired of pulse. I'm ready to throw in the towel. And all he had to do was make it one more day to stand before the king. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to follow God. I'm not saying it's easy to eat pulse day after day, 3,285 meals. But all God asks us to do is do the best we can with what we have. And he will somehow bless us with a, a miraculous, in a miraculous way and turn our discipline into something beyond what we thought would ever be. So here's how you stand before kings. Remember, it's a process. For Daniel, it was three years. It's a long time. Stop looking at the meat. It's not better. Stop complaining about the pulse. And just decide which ending is better. Do you want to settle for the status quo? Or do you want to stand before kings? Because that's what's at stake. And I think all of us need to just come to the point of decision and say, I know it's not easy to follow Christ. But the pulse is worth it if I can one day stand before the king and not have the pain of regret. I pray that for every person at Eastside Baptist Church. That we accept the pulse because we know the end is better. And that we resist the meat even though it's enticing in the moment. Because something better is waiting for us. Let's stand. Every head bowed. Are you sitting at meat or are you accepting the pulse? Are you sitting at meat or are you wanting to stand before kings? It's a decision that we, all of us have to make.
Am I willing to put up with the pain of discipline or am I more willing to just accept the pain of regret? Don't do that. Just, just say, you know, it's worth it. I just have to carry on, do what I'm supposed to do because God promises that will turn this discipline into something great. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be humble and willing to submit to the work that you're doing in our lives. I thank you for Daniel's example and pray that you'd help it to inspire us to take some steps tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.